welcome to the I Spy with My MyOI podcast. I am your host, Brittany Sierra. I am a certified oral facial myologist, registered dental hygienist, and lifelong learner. My goal with this podcast is to expand your knowledge of oral facial myofunctional disorders and to bring you up to date in current literature so that together we can get to the root of the problem. You ask, we'll answer by collaborating with true pioneers and specialties associated with the myo world. Join me on this journey as we dive into the life-altering world of tethered oral tissues and airway space. Let's do this thing. Quick disclaimer, all content expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the speakers and is for informational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because every person is so unique, you should always consult with your specialized healthcare professional. Dr. Lawrence Kotlow is a 1972 graduate of SUNY Buffalo Dental School. From 1972 to 1974, Dr. Kotlow spent his fellowship at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. He then began his private practice located in Albany, New York. Dr. Kotlow has been a board-certified pediatric dentist since 1974, serving the specialized needs of children. Dr. Kotlow is known throughout the country for his innovative techniques and caring manner and has lectured for some of the top dental societies and dental companies. Dr. Kotlow has lectured in Australia, Taiwan, Canada, England, France, and throughout the United States concerning pediatric dentistry and lasers. Dr. Kotlow is an author of over 30 peer-reviewed articles, two texts, Atlas of Tots and SOS for Tots about lasers, infant phrenectomies, and breastfeeding. He's also contributed to various chapters in six textbooks on laser dentistry. Dr. Kotlow is a fellow in the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, a fellow in the International College of Dentists, a diplomat in the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry, and has a mastership from the Academy of Laser Dentistry. He's a life member of the American Dental Association, life fellow of the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry, and life member of the New York State Dental Association and Third District Dental Society of New York. Dr. Kotlow is a member of the American Academy of Physiologic Medicine and Dentistry and a member of the Academy of Laser Dentistry since 2000. Dr. Kotlow has advanced proficiency in Erbium YAG, ND YAG, and standard proficiency in diode 810 nanometers and 9300 nm CO2 lasers. Dr. Kotlow provides education on solia procedures, laser safety, and laser physics to new solia dentists for Convergent Dental, the developer of the solia laser. He's a beta tester of new upgrades and software for the Solia all-tissue carbon dioxide dental laser, as well as a dental consultant to an investor in Convergent Dental. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Kotlow, for, for coming on and being a part of the podcast. I'm really, really excited for our listeners to be able to hear from you and learn from you and also myself to learn from you. Um, so again, yeah, thank you, for, thank you for coming on. Thank you for the invitation. It's always fun. Absolutely. Um, so let's just kind of dive right into it. Um, so I, I wanted to first talk about you know, what you think the best tool is or what you use yourself um, to do your your laser phrenectomies. Oh, well, well I just said I laser phrenectomies, so excuse me for that, but. Okay. <laughs> well, you gotta go back 40 plus years. I've been in practice since 19, 
74. And when I came into practice, I had no experience really in oral surgery. But I saw all these kids coming in that were six, seven, and eight who couldn't speak very well. And if I would refer them to an oral surgeon, they'd have to get an okay by a pediatrician. And there weren't a lot of people on board. To them, a tongue is a tongue, and that's it. Um, I used some electrosurgery, which was okay, but on the kids under three or four, some of these kids might end up in the emergency room because that's a burn and they wouldn't drink or eat. In about 1998, uh, air abrasion became available, and the same company who developed that also developed the uh, first NDAG laser, which I tried, but I didn't think it really worked good on kids. It cut a little too deep. But in 2000, I lectured at the Academy of Pediatric Dentistry on high-tech dentistry, and the only real question I got was, what did I think of lasers? And it wasn't, I didn't know anything about them. And I thought maybe they would burn, maybe it wouldn't be a good idea, the kids wouldn't sit still. So Erbium lasers came out in 2000. I spent a lot of time learning about them. And uh, they were told it was only for hard tissue. You couldn't use them for soft tissue because it really couldn't control bleeding very well. But I learned by controlling the power that I could do many, many soft tissue procedures with minimal amount of bleeding. And it also healed nicer. Um, then diodes came out. And diodes were really good for tissue that looked like it was going to bleed, hemangiomas. It wouldn't really cut good fibrous tissue because if you, as you learn about lasers, you understand they have a target. And the target for erbium is water hydroxyl ions, and diodes is really for pigment. And I used them for about, I would say, maybe 12 years. And then in 2011, the people from Convergent Dental contacted me and said, we are going to create a new laser. And one of the things people always said is no one laser can do everything. Mm -hmm. But they said they were going to have a laser that could come out and do everything. So you know, you get a lot of hype from people and things. So they came to my office and they gave me a good bill of goods. I went and visited their, 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 their factory, which was in Boston, uh, versus the other ones being overseas and not local and um, not being able to really get in, in at the ground floor. And I spent a lot of time with them developing what we have at Convergent Dental. So the CO2 laser comes in two different wavelengths. And without giving you a two-hour lecture on lasers, <laughs> laser wavelength determines what it's going to cut. It's target tissue. So the CO2 soft tissue laser will only cut soft tissue because its wavelength is, you know, 1,000, 10, 16, 10, 16,000, let's start all over again. It's 10.6 nanometers, okay? And that will not cut hard tissue. However, the CO2 at 9,300 nanometers, 9,300, will cut hard and soft tissue. So as a pediatric dentist, I wanna give my patients the maximum care of technology. And if I can do a filling on you without numbing you, that changes everything because now, I can do multiple quadrants. I don't have to give you drugs or chemicals. And, you know, we want to be not holistic, but we want to be as drug and chemical free as possible. So this laser 
is better than Erbium because it does it all more efficiently. So then we started doing more and more soft tissue surgery with this laser. And because of its wavelength, you do eliminate bleeding in most cases. You also, it's bactericidal. So I've done over 40,000 laser surgeries. I've never seen an infection. Um, I can release all types of frenums. I can do biopsies. Anything that I think is non-malignant, I would do. Uh, I don't do impacted teeth, so I don't do impactions, but I have done impactions in the roof of the mouth where I can cut the palate, cut some bone, and remove the soft tissue, uh, and then get to the um, teeth. So we can cut soft tissue, hard tissue, bone, etc. Now, getting back to phrenectomies, um, I've been using this laser, oh, like I said, since 2011. It's been available for the general population of dentists since about 2013. Um, most of the changes that they had up until last October were soft tissue. Now they came out with their, their really third version, which is a little smaller, a little more powerful, and uh, basically it takes me about 10 seconds to do a phrenectomy on a newborn. Wow, that's amazing. So you don't need to use local anesthetic. And then you can get the whole conversation. Do babies feel pain? Well, yeah. They cry when they're wet. They cry if they get a shot. For the amount of time it would take me to use a needle and numb them, they would cry just as much. Mm -hmm. But I don't have to worry about them biting the tip of their tongue, and they'll latch immediately. So what we do with the babies is we, we give them some sugar water uh, because sugar water does act as a little bit of an analgesic, but it's nothing to worry about. And most babies, when we return to the parents, they'll look at you and say, did you do it yet? Because the baby's not crying. <laughs> Some babies are going to cry if you look at them, but for the majority of them, they're not going to cry. And the procedures, because I always do the upper lip and tongue at the same time, it's like a pair of pliers. If you just do the tongue and you don't do the lip, I don't think you're going to get a secure latch. Okay. So this laser called Solea by a company called Convergent, I can do any age. The youngest I've done it is an hour old. It was a patient who had two other kids in the office before for phrenectomies, infants. And when the baby was born, it was a home birth. And she said, uh-uh, get him to see Dr. Kotlow. It was in the middle of the day. And they went ahead and they came right in and they were back to the mother within another hour and a half. So I don't have any difficulty working on four pound babies and small babies. And right now with the coronavirus, what we're doing is we're only seeing children under the age of six to eight weeks where it's an emergency. They're not eating, they're not gaining weight, the failure to thrive, the mother's in agony. I mean, if you read my book, the first chapter says you've been waiting for nine long months for your baby to be born. Baby's put on your chest, crawls up and bites down and says, oops, this is not what I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> we just tell everybody we pro reprogram their baby and we get them latched on. And most cases are latched on. Um, but again, we're one part of the the, the lactation team, if you want to call it. But we have to expand that outward now because when we started all of this, you know, if you want to interrupt me, because I can go straight for an hour without no, breathing. No, feel free. <laughs> uh, you know, when we started all this, it was really the lactation people um, 
and we had some chiropractors involved. But, you know, now we're running the whole gamut. And if you understand, number one, that the tongue is not just a muscle. You know, that's like telling me your heart is just a muscle. Your heart is an organ. So what we're doing now, at least I'm lecturing, that we have to look at the tongue as an organ because it will affect overall growth and development tremendously for these children. So the initial part here at birth, under the ideal conditions, is you would have a physician, you know, deliver the baby. And in the delivery room, baby is put on the mother's chest and baby can run up the chest and onto the breast. But within the first few hours, she sees a lactation consultant. And the lactation consultant doesn't have to be afraid of the hospital or the physicians. And even though it's not a, what I would call licensed profession, they probably in most cases know more than anyone else. And they should be able to make an initial assessment, which in effect is really a diagnosis that says, your baby has an attachment of their tongue, which may or will interfere with your ability to comfortably and successfully breastfeed. Mm -hmm. And therefore, at that point, depending on the degree of attachment, she would either elect, now if you use my definitions of tongue ties, class one, two, three, and four. If you're all the way to the tip, it's a class four. If you're at the base, it's a class one. But if you had a class three or a class four tie, which is really what we would call just an anterior tie, and I don't like anterior posterior, okay, that would go to a chiropractor for maybe a day at the most, a few just go over with her, and then the baby would be sent to the surgeon. Now, who are you going to use for a surgeon? Well, ENTs traditionally want to put babies in, uh, in the hospital. They want to use a pair of scissors. They want to take a tongue tie and go halfway, sort of like a half a circumcision. They don't go from the tip to the base. They just do it halfway. I have other technical terms, but I won't use them just for your podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I end up having to redo them. Uh, you can send them to an oral surgeon who, again, might do the same thing. There are many general dentists who are using lasers, and myself as a pediatric dentist, but you want to go to somebody who has some experience, who knows what they're doing, and will take the uh, attachment from wherever it inserts into the base of the tongue all the way back to the base from the tip. Now, in order to do that, you have to know how to examine a baby, and that's why you can't rely on any of the studies we have. They're all inaccurate because they all involve looking at the baby while the baby is sitting on the mother's lap. You can't do that. You need to sit knee to knee with the parent as an examiner and have the mother hold the baby's arms, the baby's head is in your lap, and you can start from the beginning. What do you do? First, you're going to take a look and watch because you can see a lot how a baby's tongue moves without putting your hands in there. Then you're gonna take your finger and have the baby suck on it. If, with the fingernail down, if the baby's biting your fingernail, you know you got a problem. Because the baby should suck between the two in knuckles on your, index on your index finger, because that's your areola. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we have, a, also before the parent comes in, they have a form they fill out. And if you go to my website, which is kids teeth, 
baby.com. You can download a new baby sheet and it lists all the symptoms a mother might have and all the symptoms the baby might have. Okay, so I don't even have to look. If all those symptoms are what's going on, then I know for sure the baby is more than likely tied unless they have like a pyloric stenosis or something to that effect. Um, we're also getting a lot of ENTs making the diagnosis the kids have laryngeal malaysia because the kids are wheezing, but nobody's looking at the tongue to see if that's attached and you're going to get the same time. So in 40 years, I never heard laryngeal malaysia, but that's the latest fad that ENT is using to avoid doing any surgery. What exactly is that? It's called laryngeal malaysia. Your larynx down here, it's kind of soft and the baby's wheezing. Oh, but I, I don't, I know it's a real disease, or abnormality, but I don't think it's as prevalent. They want to say what we're doing on babies is a fad. I think that's a catch-all when they can't figure out what's going on. They don't do any endoscopy. That's what's going on. They're misdiagnosing. So what about um, your take on like the pediatricians diagnosing the babies with um, acid reflux and putting them on acid reflux meds? Okay. Well, let's let's go back first to do the exam, and then okay. we'll talk about it. Absolutely. Okay. So you start with the lips. You check the upper, upper cheeks, you check the tongue, you do a good thorough examination, takes you one minute. Once you determine it needs to be taken care of from a breastfeeding, breastfeeding standpoint, then you should send them to someone who has experience and knows what they're doing. The person releases the ties and then returns the baby back to the lactation consultant and or the chiropractor or body worker, cranial psychotherapist. Now, as I started to say earlier, we're now expanding the idea that a tongue is more than just a tongue, a muscle. It's also an organ. And what does it do? It affects at least six or eight body systems. So one of the things that I believe is being totally mistreated and misdiagnosed is what the physicians call acid reflux and what is really air-induced reflux. And what happens is these are the babies who have to be carried around all the time. They sleep in their crib uh, upright, or they sleep with their butt up in the air in the TP position, or they sleep in their car carrier, and they arch their back. They can't sit still because they're in agony. And this is not acid reflux, and all, all these drugs won't touch it. This is what we call air-induced reflux. The baby's hanging around the nipple on the mother's breast or a shallow latch on the bottle. So the only difference between the bottle and the baby and the mother's breast is it doesn't hurt her because she's not nursing, mm -hmm. but you're going to have all the same symptoms. So acid reflux should not be treated with medication unless it's true acid reflux and unless there is a real uh, medical reason for doing it outside of what they think is reflux. Because in most cases, these kids will stop swallowing air and that along with the surgery stops all the symptoms. So, you know, I'm not a physician. I can't tell you stop using it, but I will say, see how the baby does tonight. Maybe try cutting it in half the next night, maybe the next day a quarter. And, but if the baby doesn't have any more reflux, there's no need to be on the medication. Right. I've got children coming in with NG tubes because they can't eat and they're being force fed through their nose. Well, I've probably had a half a dozen of these kids have gotten to me. You know what? In 24 hours, the tube is clamped off. 
because they don't have the symptoms. It's the wrong diagnosis. Same thing with a stomach tube. These are kids undergoing general anesthesia for surgical procedure because they're having quote unquote acid reflux. It's not. In cases I see, over 95% of the time, once we release the ties, all of these symptoms that the parents have are gone on the mother side and the baby side go away. It's not really, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist here. You've got to learn to use the tongue as part of the differential diagnosis mm -hmm. when you have that problem. Okay, so, you know, we're dealing with the baby, failure to thrive, acid reflux, um, crying, pain. And, you know, I, I really bothers me when some of the people out there who say, oh, we're causing tremendous damage to these kids because they're in pain when we do the phrenectomy because on the newborns, we don't numb them or anything. And my answer to you is you're letting these kids go with reflux for four to 18 months and I'm causing the problem. So babies cry when they're wet. They cry when they're hungry. Okay. For the few seconds they cry, when we do the surgery with the correct laser, if you use a diode, it could take you a lot longer mm -hmm. because it's a much slower process. But using CO2, using the Solea, it's very quick and easy to do. Now, is there a certain age that you do numb the patient or do not numb any, any of them? Well, it's interesting you asked me the question because there are two different questions to that. One is, is it necessary to numb a patient when you use the laser, that's CO2 at 9,300 nanometers. And two, do I numb patients? So those are two different questions. The answer is, depending on the thickness of the attachment, the behavior of the child, I will make a decision. Now, once they're above 18 months, we'll use topical anesthetic because there they can feel more, it takes a little bit more work because they're more aware of what's going on. Secondly, I don't use just one type of a laser. Again, without going into a long dissertation, lasers are broken down into two types, hot lasers and cold lasers. Hot lasers are broken down into class, well, lasers are broken down also into class one, two, three, and four. The lasers we're using are class four lasers, which means everybody needs special glasses. And then we have under the class four, we have hard and soft, and we have soft tissue only. Okay, so for surgery, we're doing the class four dental lasers requiring eye protection, and they're hot lasers. The diode and the 10.6 CO2 are soft tissue only. The erbium family and CO2 at 9,300 nanometers are the only ones that cut hard in both tissue. And we could talk about just that for a couple hours. So <laughs> then we move into cold, cold, cold lasers. These are the things you use every day in your life. When you check out at the cast register, they're using a laser to scan your things. When you're using a DVD player, uh, you're using a laser. And then we move up. When you give a lecture, your remote is a laser. But now we have also something called photobiomodulation. These are also known as low-level lasers. These are lasers that work under a 500 milliwatts. They don't produce any heat at all, cannot cut. But they do work the cellular level with the mitochondria. So if you have trauma, a burn, 
and you place the laser over that, it aborts the inflammatory process and allows healing to be better. So you have two different things you want to accomplish. One is we call bioinhibition. We want to stop something, such as the transfer of pain. And biostimulation, we want to stimulate cellular growth, increase blood vessels to a cut. So by using low-level laser therapy with the topical anesthetic, I am able to get a more profound topical anesthetic. So I would say when I do the upper lip ties, it doesn't matter if you're a day old or 20. I don't usually need to numb you because it doesn't hurt. With tongue ties, it's a different ballgame. The upper lip is a short frenum. Maybe it's uh, five millimeters. The tongue could be anywhere from a few millimeters to an inch, you know, 25 millimeters. It can be very thick. It can be very fibrous. It can be very thin. So we'll put the topical on. If it's a real thick one, which I know the topical may not get to, I may use a little bit of local into the frenum. And that's also the type, if I think I might want a suture, because probably 99% of the time we don't do any suturing. Mm -hmm. So if it's, a, if it's a, such a long attachment or a deep attachment that I think I might want a suture, I may numb them, or I will numb them, okay? But for the most part, we start to use topical around 18 months, because sometimes topical is worse than the laser. Kids don't like the taste. So I have to get the feel of the baby, and it could be two years old. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's no cut and dry answer other than the fact on newborns and infants. No, I don't use any chemicals or any drugs. I've never had an allergic reaction. Uh, bleeding is your really only complication. And that's rare that you get bleeding, uh, especially when you have an aiming beam and can see exactly where you are. You don't have to see the results of where you are. You see where you are before you push your laser down. And there's some lasers, they lack an aiming beam. And so it's, it's, it's okay to use, but you're two or three millimeters away, and, and you may not know exactly what's going to happen until you get there. Um, the nice thing about Soleil is on a baby who's got a mouth that's an inch wide or three quarters, I don't have to, my hands in the mouth. I have a groove director to elevate the tongue, and I have a laser which is really outside the mouth in order for me to cut that. If you do get bleeding, and you can use this on any patient yourself, any kid, if you ever get a cut that won't stop bleeding, take a regular moist tea bag, hold it on the cut for three minutes without peaking, and that's going to stop any kind of bleeding you got. Mm -hmm. So we've never really had that kind of an emergency. Your, uh, dental extractions that don't stop. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh man, the question that was in my head, I lost it. Never mind. Okay. So obviously with infants, you're doing the release, you get right on the mom's breast. Um, for, you know, toddlers, adolescents, um, that you're treating that obviously aren't still breastfeeding, uh, do you refer for myofunctional therapy or what is your recommendation to follow up post phrenectomy? Okay. So if you call me and you've got, say an eight year old and I can find a myofunctional therapist near you, I will usually recommend you have a few visits with the myofunctional therapist. It's a different ball game. Now we're talking not breastfeeding, but now we're talking speech, we're talking chewing, 
we're talking maxillary and mandibular bone development. So, I mean, we're still thinking about that with the nursing kids, but here we want to get them on the breast. Now we're changing everything. So now you're not going to, you're not going to deal with a lactation consultant. Mm -hmm. You probably aren't going to deal with a chiropractor on the six and seven and eight year old, although you may, um, you're going to be dealing with the myofunctional therapist. So I would prefer under ideal conditions that what are ideal conditions? A, there's someone in the vicinity they can get to or someone close enough that they can Skype. Mm -hmm. They have the finances or their insurance covers it. I won't send someone out the door and say, I won't do it unless you do see a myofunctional therapist mm -hmm. because that's not going to do anything. But ideally, I would prefer before and after to be working with a myofunctional therapist. Um, I can give them exercises. You know, I have all the books on myofunctional therapy, but I have neither the time nor the desire to do that. Uh, my goal is to do the surgery and get them to the right person. So we, we have a breastfeeding team and we have an oral uh, dysfunction team, you might want to call it. Okay. And I think that's what we need to discuss. What's oral dysfunction? Okay. And one thing we haven't talked about, and that is obstructive sleep apnea. And in mothers, let, let's go back to the mothers again with the baby who doesn't nurse. One of the purposes outside of nutrition of nursing your baby is to bond with that baby. So there's a psychological description, something called the attachment theory. And when you put that baby on your chest, you, you bond like nobody else can. That's your baby. You produce it, you create it, and that baby and you bond. And that's a bonding that's going to last forever, or it may never happen. So when that baby latches on and your milk supply comes in, you have hormones in your brain that say, oh, mom, you just had a baby. Now you need to produce milk. So you start to produce milk. Then the baby latches on and the brain says, oh, you need more milk. So you get another hormone that simulates more flow. And it's a cycle. You, you produce, the baby takes. You produce, the baby takes. But if that baby doesn't latch on and you're stressed and things aren't going right, what happens is you go into a postpartum depression. You go to your OBGYN and they put you on drugs. No one thinks to look into the baby's mouth and say, Maybe this baby can't latch on, and that's why the mother and baby are not bonding. The result of lack of bonding is increase of cortisol, and cortisol is going to shut down your milk supply. So now your milk supply is dropping, the baby is crying, and you're frustrated. So it's a cycle. You go further into depression. And I can't tell you the number of mothers who come in crying because they're not bonding with their baby, and it's all told it's their fault. Right. So the first thing I have to do is put my hat on and let's shrink. I'm telling the mother... <laughs> This is not your problem. You are a good mother. You're getting wrong information, okay? The baby has a physical problem preventing them from latching on, and it has nothing to do with it. So if it's your first baby or 15th baby. You're going to still get depressed because if you know what it should be like and you can't do it, it's just as bad if your expectations aren't met. So by treating the baby's tethered oral tissues, many times – we can get the baby to bond with the mother and that will increase your milk supply and decrease your uh, postpartum depression. So that hormonal imbalance, so we're working with the endocrine system. 
when we're dealing with the respiratory system and the circulatory system, now we start looking at obstructive sleep apnea. According to studies, the first 90 days, your brain is growing at a rate of 1% per day. Wow. So when you have some people who are part of the breastfeeding team who want to spend six weeks with you to get that baby to latch, you're missing the boat. You're halfway there. And that baby has had low oxygen flow to their brain. In the first two years, there are so many parts of the brain that are being stimulated. And if those neurons are not getting an adequate supply of oxygen, the baby may suffer five or six years down the line with ADD and ADHD. Now, this is not me talking. These are the studies that are being shown. So when you've got babies who are becoming toddlers, who are hyperactive, you can, again, if you go to my website and you download obstructive sleep apnea evaluation, there's like 25 different symptoms you look for. And it includes bedwetting. Okay, a five-year-old who's still wetting their bed at night, they may be having obstructive sleep apnea. Okay, the three or four-year-old who is waking up with night terrors may have obstructive sleep apnea. So when you start going to physicians and they're looking to use drugs and medications to treat symptoms, okay, and that's what the medical profession is doing. Your OBGYN, your shrink, if you're going to one, your pediatrician are looking at the symptoms and they're not even looking at the tongue as part of their differential diagnosis. And if you don't do that, you are going to miss everything going on. And probably close to 95% of the time, a very simple in the office surgical procedure with a laser, someone trained and doing it for the right reasons. You know, I've had people come to my office and say, oh man, I can make a lot of money doing this. Okay, well, it's a process. If you come to my office with your baby, either you download it or you come and you fill out a page, which gives me your symptoms and all the things I need to make a diagnosis. Then we're going to do, like I said earlier, a good exam, checking all of the ties. And then I have a video which I show, which is about 13 minutes long, which answers all of the questions parents have, all of the things are concerned about and why they're in the office and why they haven't been getting good care. So after that's done, then I come back in the room and we sit down and we, we talk. And usually they say, okay, I understand, let's do it. 99 out of 100 parents will wanna do it. Occasionally one has been told by the pediatrician, anything that works in the office will cut and it's a fad, they wanna think about it. Or sometimes the insurance companies won't pay to have the exam and surgery the same day. But since most of my patients, half of them at least come at least an hour or further away, mm -hmm. we're told we'll do it at the same time. And that's what they want. They want instant gratification, instant results. And that's what we're going to give them in most cases. So where do you think the lack of knowledge with the medical, you know, the medical world, because I'll get a lot like, well, how come my pediatrician, you know, they're obviously going to trust, trust their pediatrician that they've known for however long versus now their kids, eight year old, eight years old, getting referred to me for malfunctional therapy. And here I am, you know, telling them everything that I'm finding, that I'm seeing there's a restriction there. And then they're like, well, my pediatrician didn't say that. Um, 
what are your thoughts on that? Well, first thing I do is I say, how many people examine your baby with their head in their lap or lying down? And the first answer they get is none. So I said, well, they can't tell. I said, if you brought your child in because they had a sore throat, they're going to feel their neck. They're going to feel their lymph nodes. They're going to say, ah, they're going to look in the mouth Mm -hmm. and just go online, type in evaluation of tonsils. Most of the physicians don't even wear gloves. They don't wear masks. They don't look in the mouth. And then they put you on a drug or they do a test. Okay, so dental school and medical school, there is no training in this. If you told me 40 some odd years ago that I would be looking at women's breasts all day long and that I would be talking about breastfeeding, I would have looked at you and said, how is that anything to do with teeth? So when I lecture to dentists, I say, you have two choices. You can be a physician of the mouth or a toothodontist. You can drill and fill. Or do you want to look at your patient from head to toe when they walk in, watch their gait, count their fingers, do an evaluation of their appearance as you go towards the mouth and make referrals? Because I've picked up many different things on kids that the physicians have missed. Right. So in dental school, we get nothing. The tongue is a muscle. In medical school, they get even less because they don't get anything about the mouth. Mm-hmm. Then you move up to residencies. Again, nobody talks about this in your dental residency because now you're learning behavior management. You're learning to put everybody in the OR who can't do anything, or you're learning to use drugs for sedation, and you're learning how to do full mouth rehabilitation on kids with crowns and pulpotomies. And you might occasionally gosh, do a phrenectomy. I don't know. I didn't do anything in dental school or in my residency. So now you're thrown out into practice. And, you know, up until a few years ago in New York State, you graduate dental school, you can open up a practice. Okay. You've got experience on maybe 30 or 40 patients. And that qualifies you. You don't know anything about business. You don't think anything about that. Same thing in medical school. So now the, the, there's one thing you hear all the time about older kids and maxillary phrenectomies. You wait till the orthodontist puts on the braces and then do it because you're going to get scar tissue. In 1952, a military dentist wrote an article and made that statement. And that's been carried through for the last 70 years. There's no science behind it. I can show you phrenectomies that I've done on kids where a five millimeter gap has closed. So sometimes the information out there is because the old farts have to die off. <laughs> because they're just propagating stuff that's not true and the new guys are listening to them. Right. So now we get to the point where you, with a recognized profession, specialist, sit down and go over all the muscles of the head and neck. You're going over the face and you are describing symptoms. And that kid has had forever. Mm-hmm. And then the final, final thing is basically, you know, you can believe your pediatrician who has no experience between the lips and the tonsils or someone who does. It's like, again, you bring your, let's say you bring your six week old into me and I do an exam and you've got a significant lip and tongue tie. And then I'll say, does your baby have a red like birthmark on the back of his neck? Yeah. How'd you know that? I said, does your baby have an umbilical Hernia? Yeah. What about a boy? Does he have an undescended testicle? Yeah. 
Any heart problems? Yes, because you have a midline defect. Mm -hmm. So they have been going from doctor to doctor to try to find out what happened and what's going on. I can't tell them why it occurred, but they're all indirectly or directly related. My job isn't to find the cause. My job is to fix what I can fix. Okay, and, and then you've got people out there on the other side of the coin who think, and I've seen chiropractors who tell parents, I can fix everything. You don't need to have any surgery. And then four months later, they end up having the surgery. So we need to respect each of our professions. Mm -hmm. We also need to know our limitations. And we also have to know how to work with other people in it. We also have to understand that if you have a thousand specialists, lactation people or other, 800 of them may not have the right training. Mm -hmm. They may not have gone to hear a lecture by me or the other pediatric dentists out there or ENTs who are lecturing, you know, um, and they may be getting, you know, wrong information on how deep to cut and where to cut and, and how to do it. Also, too many guys and girls in their practice, you call up, you go in, they quote unquote snip, which I think is a four letter word. Mm -hmm. so they snip the frenum and the anterior part of it. They leave the posterior and they charge it $2,500 and you walk out the door. No instructions on post-surgery, no understanding of what's being done. You know, to me, if you're going to work on babies, you've got to keep in mind a few things. Number one, I give every mother my personal cell phone. And I tell them, you can text me if you have a problem. Okay, why? Because I know when I try to get a hold of my physician, I have an answering service, and they'll call me back within 24 hours, mm -hmm. unless it's an emergency. Then they tell me to go to the emergency room. Well, as a new mother, your kid isn't reacting the way you expect it. You're going to go into panic mode. And you're already, again, some of the things I'm saying are not meant to be detrimental, but a newborn mother has hormonal changes going on. And she's more susceptible to just breaking down and crying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Getting to me early when they come in and cry, I can make them smile. Okay. I can make them feel good about themselves and their babies. So again, it's not just working on the baby. I'm, I'm working on, and again, we call it a, a dyad, mother and baby, but it should be called a triad. Mm -hmm. because if the mother and the baby are miserable and suffering, the father doesn't have a chance. He's also going to suffer because he's got a mother, which he cannot help. He has a mother and a baby, which he cannot help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a new father, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, right. I've had a few instances where the mother delivered and either had a stroke or had a real medical problem and was in the hospital but the baby was severely tied and the father brought him in. Okay. He's a nervous wreck. He can't get the baby out of the car carrier. Okay. Cause the car carriers are complicated. Two people who can't work them. Fathers and grandparents. Okay. <laughs> you know, getting these kids in and out of these car carriers, let alone having them watch a movie and remember anything. Sometimes is you've got to go with the flow. You got to give them the right handouts. You have to understand the compassion of what's going on. And you've got to treat every baby as if it's your own grandson or your own child. And, and that's what we do. Now we're up against the wall with the, the uh, you know, Corona-19 virus, uh, COVID-19 virus. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, you can't tell a mother you got to wait three months to get this taken care of. Right. It's like when the pediatrician says, don't have the upper lip cut. When he's about six or seven, he'll fall and do it himself. Yeah. Doesn't help her breastfeeding experience, nor is it a good medical treatment. So, you know, we're, we're there for these mothers right now. And we're seeing one baby with usually just the mother, occasionally the father. And we space them out every hour and a half to two hours so that they're not in the office with anybody else. Um, I have two staff with me working at all times. The baby is protected. You know, we're wearing gowns, the right masks, face shields, go through many, many gloves. Uh, if we touch anything, it comes off. And the parents, when they come in, are given masks. So they have the masks on. Um, and we have face shields. So we're doing everything. Probably my office is the safest place to be because we're as far apart as we can go, except when we're working on the baby. And then in between that hour, hour and a half, they're scrubbing all the equipment down. Okay, traditionally, a dental office is not an operating room in terms of going in and wiping the floor and doing this and doing that. Now we have to be, we don't have to mop the floor, but everything gets scrubbed down in between the babies, even if they're only in the chair for two minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, everything is, is, is even more so than we go back and we look at what we did for AIDS years and years ago. Um, we did everything, but it wasn't quite the same as this one because this is far more contagious. So my belief, at least my staff and I, when we're working, we're well protected. No one's required to come in, but they will have the same feeling. These mothers deserve what we can give them. It's an emergency. So we're working our best to protect the parents at the same time making sure that they can nurse. Um, so just basically the tongue is the only muscle of the mouth, excuse me, of the body that's only attached by one end. Mm -hmm. And the only other thing we haven't really addressed in a short period of time is what we call body fascia. Okay. And if you look at the fascial planes, which I believe are 12, most of them attach to the skull at some point. So when you think of the tongue, no one thinks of the tongue as a muscle attached to the spine because you have four extrinsic and four intrinsic muscles. But the extrinsic muscles, through body fascia, and there's a great dissection that shows wiggling the toes, the tongue moves. So when the adults come in and they say, oh, is my tongue tied? I just look at them and say, your dentist never mentioned it. No, they never mentioned it. You know, I, I, as an aside, I went to Australia and got licensed one year for 12, for 24 hours. And oh, cool. we, we did about 16 phrenectomies because I was showing how to use the laser. Mm -hmm. We had a 70-year-old woman come in with a lower partial denture right to the alveolar ridge in, in her tongue time. So, you know, I couldn't believe the dentist made a, a partial over the frenum. So her only concern was after we released the frenum, what would happen? I said, well, you'll be able to speak well English. You won't be speaking Australian. <laughs> but that's just an aside. But the fact of the matter is, with this body fascia, that's why we need the chiropractors and the body workers and the myofunctional therapists, because just by releasing the tongue, it's not going to cure all the problems. Mm -hmm. But if you ever have the opportunity, uh, like my assistant who helps every patient, she's holding the head behind the head, and even when the ones that you do, if you can make a 
some kind of an evaluation on how tight the hyoid bone is, mm-hmm. the neck, and then you release it, okay? It, it's going to be the type of thing where you're going to feel a snap in the neck, like all of a sudden everything drops because it's no longer tight. And I, I've got, when I give my lecture, I've got two patients. She was 18 and another one is in her 30s. She's, oh my God, the second you release my tongue, well, my whole neck and everything, it just relaxed. I get rid of my headache. It's immediate. And, and that's it, okay? So working with people like you allows us to make what we do more successful. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you can't do it alone. Okay, right. you can't release everything that's tight. So you can give them the exercises to help. We can do their surgery and then they come back to you because now you're not releasing them to help. You're releasing them to retrain what goes on. Right. Yeah, it's definitely that collaborative approach is so important. Um, What about one thing that I did want to make sure that we covered is tonsils and adenoids um, and your thoughts on how um, the enlargement of them, you know, obviously affects the airway and, you know, referring patients to ENT and the likelihood that they'll actually get taken out. All right. Well, again, if you go online and download my evaluation, if you have all twos and threes, I send you to ENT. I don't ask to evaluate as you get them out. And they mostly do. If they don't have a lot, I refer them to ENT for a sleep study. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's kind of hard to do on a newborn. So you got to go by the blockages. Um, but the answer is this, uh, my children were born in the early seventies when my daughter came in one day crying with ear pain and huge tonsils and bilateral ear infections. I sent her to ENT and they took out her tonsils and adenoids, just like they did with everybody else. And then just like everything else that happens, the insurance companies and a bunch of do-gooders said, Boy, you're doing a lot of unnecessary surgery. You're running up a cost of insurance. And so the pendulum started swinging the other direction. Pretty soon, getting tonsils and adenoids out um, was almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Okay? So now the pendulum is going the other direction because we're realizing when that airway is blocked, things that which we talked about before, sleep apnea, is the result. So we're getting more TNAs done because of sleep apnea than we are because of infection. So when I get a child that comes in, first of all, we examine them lying down. If they're older, and I can't do an exam because as soon as I lie down, their tonsils touch and the uvula is kind of pressed together and comes out as a long, thin line, then I send them to ENT with, these need to come out because I cannot clean or even work in this kid's mouth. He is not a gagger because he has a gag reflex. He has a gagger because his airway is blocked. And then the question comes, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did the tonsils become enlarged because they became mouth breathers? Okay. Or did they become mouth breathers because their, tongue, their tonsils became enlarged? Did they have a tonsils removed and did they come back or were they not completely removed? So when we're dealing with obstructive sleep apnea, when we're doing our evaluations, we examine the tonsils and we examine the tongue. If the tongue is tight and restrictive, then we'll, I will release the tongue and then I will send them to ENT. I have to usually bypass the pediatricians, which doesn't make me real good with them. 
But the fact is they've been looking at these things for two or three years and using antibiotics and steroids and stuff. And without any result, nobody's looked at the tongue. So part of my lecture is the merging of medicine and dentistry. And the medical community has to undertake a retraining and that says that ENT should also look in the mouth or refer to a dentist. The ear, nose, and throat doesn't include the, the teeth and the tongue. Mm-hmm. Pediatricians should get some training, and we should work together. So when that kid has behavior problems in school, has circles under his eyes, can't sleep, first line of defense is send him to the dentist for an evaluation of the oral cavity, and then we can drag in the ENT. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're just bypassing us and do the ENT, they may miss it because they don't look correctly. And I tell parents, when you go, make sure your child is evaluated lying down, not in the upright position. And again, it's, it's a constant battle, but um, I have one or two ENTs I can work with who have done less sleep studies and more TNAs because of the referral that I send them. And then there's an ENT in town here who says, I should stop trying to play doctor that, you know, I don't know anything about the mouth. Lasers are dangerous. I find that a lot of parents, they'll take my recommendation, go see the ENT, but then the ENT will say, oh, well, they're not that bad. Well, they're not that bad. What do you mean they're not that bad? Are they obstructing or are they not? Like, what is not that bad? You know, it's, it's almost like they have to be, the child has to be suffering a certain percent till they'll actually do something, which is just awful that these kids have to go on and suffer when there's a procedure that can be done that can help. Well, that's why if you fill out the form and they're all twos and threes, now they're on, now, now they can be sued theoretically because they're ignoring all the symptoms. And sometimes I'll put them on nasal sprays and they'll mm-hmm. come back in six months. I said, look, this isn't going to work. Okay. And it's like when oh, it's just a little bit tongue tied. I said, if you went to your OBGYN and said, don't worry, you're just a little bit pregnant, come back in nine months. <laughs> it doesn't work. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't have a little tongue tied if you have all the symptoms. Okay. So. What about, um, in case there are any uh, dentists listening to the podcast, you know, what's your, a lot of dentists will have a laser. Um, but your recommendation on different courses they can take and, you know, they need to obviously specialize, especially if they're going to be treating infants in TOTS before they really start, um, you know, treating patients. Well, number one, I tell everybody, never start on a baby because the anatomy is different. The tissue is different and you get a bleeder, you'll pass out right on the spot. <laughs> okay. It's, it becomes and over in Australia. They have certain lactation people who I call them ambulance chasers because they wait at the hospital for the, the dentist or ENT to make a mistake and end up in the emergency room. Make sure you know if the baby's going to bleed, what you got to do, how to stop it. Plan for the emergency, not the simple procedure. There are courses out there on prejudice. I think mine's the best. Okay. It's called SOS for Tots. We just gave it over the weekend. It's six and a half hours. It covers everything we talked about today plus videos and more. Awesome. I'll definitely link um, that in the comment section. If if you go to like Solea, we do about four of these a year. Um, I was going to do one at the Academy of Laser Dentistry meeting, but that was canceled. Mm-hmm. 
um, you just have to look around, but make sure the person who's doing it um, is not doing it just to maybe sell lasers. I mean, I do it with a laser company, but most of the people, we call it an advanced laser course, that anybody who wants to join in or lactation people listen in. It's not meant to be a selling course, and I make sure that the laser company knows that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I do have to say that with Convergent, they came to me. I worked with them. Uh, I decided that when they had some offerings, I would try to invest in the company. So I'm a trainer for them. I've invested in them, not a lot of money, but a modest amount of money. Um, my goal here is to educate and protect the dentist as well as the babies. Right. And that's what I try to do. And, um, you know, I've given quite a few discussions with other lactation people and chiropractors, just what we're doing. And, um, you know, people go to my website cause usually I'll list my lectures. Uh, again, it's kidsteeth.com. If anybody has a question, they can email me at kidsteeth at AOL.com. It's kidsteeth with two D's, K-I-D-D-S-T-E-E-T-H at AOL.com or .com. Um, unfortunately, right now, there are no courses scheduled because uh, all of the in -live, live courses have been canceled. Everyone's um, on pause right now, it feels like. But the fact of the matter is, Zoom does a great job. And uh, I spent seven hours Saturday. So we're probably going to do at least two more this year. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see because it's, it's easy for me. And we had people this weekend from South Africa and Australia, California, Canada. So we had them all over the world. We had over 50 people. Uh, and we only had a, like a two-week notice because originally it was going to be in Fort Lauderdale. Wow. Um, so Zoom gives us a great opportunity to educate. And um, right now I'm working with, like I said, the laser company and the Academy of Laser Dentistry to work with the, the people who are out there who sell and provide lasers, the manufacturers, as well as the educators to um, give people the opportunity to see whatever lasers are out there uh, and also to get certified. We, there's also certifications we can give for a two-day course. Yeah, well, luckily, you know, like you said, Zoom works, works great, and we're lucky to have the technology we have so that, you know, we might not be able to treat the patients right this very moment, but at least we can still continue to educate ourselves, which is nice. Um, one more thing I did want to cover before we end is okay. pacifier use and sippy cup use and your thoughts on that, those. Well, those are two different questions. Okay. Do I like pacifiers? No. Okay. If you think about the tongue, part of what doesn't happen in utero is the tongue doesn't reach the roof of the mouth and spread it. Also, babies learn. There's two things that give me pet peeves. Babies who have gloves on their hands and pacifiers. The gloves I can get rid of. Just get a nail clipper because babies learn by touch. If they want to latch onto your breast and nurse, they want to feel your body. They want to, again, that attachment, you're taking that away. So we talk about getting rid of the gloves. The pacifier, I, if you're going to use one, use the flat ones, the orthodontic pacifiers. But again, the tongue... 
going to the roof of the mouth is beneficial, but I also don't have to live with that baby. Right. And sometimes <laughs> you need to we have like, to always remember that the roof of the mouth, the hard palate, on the other side is the floor of the maxillary sinus. Mm -hmm. So when you have a high arch palate, you compress your maxillary sinus, which will in turn cause more sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. So we want to spread that palate as much as we can naturally with the tongue going there. As far as a sippy cup goes, my only concern with sippy cups is they're used as pacifiers and they're in the back of the car with apple juice in there and the teeth rot right out. So if you're going to use the pacifier, don't dip it in honey. If you're going to use the sippy cup, only water except at meals. And um, the only other thing we didn't talk about, which really is important, and that is, be very in fact, breastfeeding alone does not cause tooth decay. But breastfeeding in mothers who sleep with their baby all night long and the baby latches on and falls asleep with breast milk in his mouth or her mouth and they have a tight maxillary frenum, they will start to get anterior decalcification. They'll start to get decay. And when the pediatrician says to them, it's just staying, don't worry, or the pediatric dentist says, or oh, you have to stop nursing immediately. Those aren't the right answers. Mm -hmm. The answer is if your baby's lip is too tight, milk is being held in the folds. And if you're sleeping at night with the baby, remember, milk will full, fold up there, lay on the teeth, and salivary flow decreases at night. So you're not diluting this milk, so it's fully concentrated. It will break down to lactic acid. And it has lactose in it. So don't let anybody tell you that breast milk cannot cause decay. Don't let anybody tell you that, uh, you know, at will breastfeeding is okay. It's all fine. And I've never told the mother she couldn't nurse at night, but either have some gauze by you or cut mm -hmm. the upper lip so that it's released. It will save you a lot of heartache as a mother and a lot of guilt. For sure. Right? Absolutely. What else do um, no, I mean, I think that we pretty much covered everything. Um, as far as the pacifier goes, do you agree, you know, if they are using it by six months, it should go? A lot of them come in because the NICU is given the round ones. Mm -hmm. I say, if you can switch it, switch it. But as soon as the front teeth get in the mouth, get rid of it. Okay, very good. That would be my goal. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, unless there's anything else that you'd like to end with, I mean, this was like a wealth of knowledge. So thank you so much. No, I'm just sorry. I didn't give you too much time to talk. I told you oh. once I got started, I couldn't stop. No, it's okay. <laughs> Listen, I want to hear from you, not from me. And I'm sure the listeners rather hear from you instead of me as well. So it works out right. for everybody. Well, it was a pleasure. And yeah, thank you so, so much again for coming on and, you know, good luck with continuing to run the practice and staying safe and healthy. Thank you for listening to today's episode of I Spy with My MyOI. If you want to hear more about these episodes, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to contact me at bsierra.omt at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe as well and let us know of any subject or guest speaker you'd like to hear from. Help spread the word by sharing today's episode on your social media page. 
You can find me on Facebook at CT Oral Facial Myology and Instagram handle CT underscore Oral Facial underscore Myology. Everybody have a wonderful day.